Did you hear the news? LifeFlow has been named one of the best accounting and finance software products for 2024 by G2. And because of the support of listeners like you, LifeFlow is also on G2's list of the 100 fastest growing products of 2024. If you're thinking about implementing LifeFlow with clients soon, there's even more good news. G2 also awarded LifeFlow as most implementable for winter 2024. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, LifeFlow, later in the episode. Ever wished you could earn CPE credits while on the go? Introducing Earmark, the app revolutionizing the way accountants earn their CPE. Just listen to your favorite accounting and tax podcasts, whether you're driving to work, working out, or even doing chores. After you're done listening, take a quick quiz. Score 70% or higher, you've earned your CPE. It's that easy. Plus, with Earmark, you're not just ticking a box. You're actually learning valuable insights from top accounting podcasts. So why wait? Download the Earmark app now on iOS or Android and transform your listening time into CPE credits. Make the most of your day and stay ahead with Earmark. I think these accounting professors are really missing a big point, which is that they are measuring education in terms of hours. It's the same problem the accounting profession has with our business model. As long as you measure people in terms of their inputs, in terms of the hours that they work and not what they achieve, you are going to limit what is possible. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And, and Blake, I know you just relocated. Well, I guess it's been almost two years now. Three years you relocated? It's been three years, which is the longest I have lived in any place since college. That's amazing. Well, maybe you're you're up for another change. How does this sound? Do you like Nashville? Oh, I I love going to Nashville. The music there is fantastic. So if you're willing to relocate to Nashville, and I know you're okay with some hybrid remote work, if you're willing to be in the office two or three days a week when not traveling... If Sounds all right. If you'd be willing to travel domestically and internationally, Ooh, I think international. I found a job you can apply for. What's that, David? So NASBA just posted the job opening, like literally in the last three or four hours, um, that they're starting their search for their new CEO successor. Really? Oh, wow. So did, 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 what, does it, what does it pay, David? It does not have the pay listed. Um, <laughs> it talks about all the committee people from various state boards that are going to conduct the interview process, right? and do this search. And they are going to give consideration to its current staff, along with other qualified candidates. And then once it's down to a finalist, they'll they'll go in and uh, select the new CEO of NASBA. Um, Typical CEO responsibilities. I didn't see anything in there that was somewhat uh, interesting enough to call out. It's what we, if you could imagine the list of requirements for a CEO, that would be listed there. Um, with the little addition ones, like consider and respond in the business risks that threaten the regulation of the profession and NASBA meetings objectives, you know, so you have to be very objective driven for this. But these are the, this is the thing that really caught my eye here. So cover letters and resumes can be emailed to, everybody have their pen and paper around? CEO applications at nasba.org. Everybody uh, should be submitting their credentials before January 5th. Mm-hmm. And this is the great part. They are not allowing faxed resumes. No faxed resumes? No faxed oh. resumes and no phone calls. 
consider they, they will not be accepted so do not if you're like i have my resume ready to go on my fax machine and you have nasbis phone number in your fax machine you cannot apply for this position you have to email your application in good to know and my warning is because experiences we've had is nasbis firewall to send emails you get blocked so don't wait till january 4th to send these emails because you might get blocked so start sending them early and then you have to use a you know alternative email in case your email yeah. gets blocked. Well, that just might be us. I don't know about everybody else. Yeah, but every but... email, every version of my email, my <laughs> Gmail, it's like, I try, like it just, everything comes up spam. I don't know why. Well, David, this week, our headline is AICPA blames boring accounting professors for pipeline problem. Uh, that's what we decided to lead with. And it's based on a podcast episode that you listened to. Sue Coffee was on the Accounting Today podcast talking about the AICPA's pipeline committee initiative and giving an update on that. Uh, and and Lexi was on there as well. I forget her last name. Kessler. Okay, she's the committee chair. Yep. So they were on with Dan Hood talking about that and you listened to that and I listened to that. So we'll talk about that. I also wanted to talk about a lawsuit that Disney is facing for Hollywood accounting tricks. I'm going to be going to Disney World this spring, so uh, I'm, I'm paying attention to everything Disney, especially when it's accounting related. And I also noticed while I was at it that um, Berkshire Hathaway is being sued for accounting tricks as well, or alleged accounting tricks by the owner of Pilot, the uh, truck stops, the rest stops. Oh, gas I, station I, I was excited. I thought it was going to be Pilot, the accounting firm. <laughs> the accounting firm. That'd no, be really meta. Firm. Meta. Um, and of course, you know, we we just got a lot of a lot of uh, app news to catch up on. Um, I want to talk about these new GPT custom GPTs you can build in ChatGPT. We haven't touched on that much, if at all. And it's kind of neat. I built my own custom one for Section One Seventy Nine just to try it out give it a document, see if it can become a specialist in um, in that, in depreciation and all that. So yeah, um, what do you want to kick off with? You want to talk about AICPA and accounting education? Yeah, let's go into the pipeline. Let's jump right in. So you're right, Susan Coffey and Lexi Kessler were on the Accounting Today's podcast with Dan Hood to discuss kind of an, an update of the pipeline committee. Remember they had the eight-point slides, eight slides, they had the eight-point plan, and then it became a 12-point plan. But we haven't seen a lot of progress other than they were going to, I think it's in May, right? April, yeah, May, so, a final. Do you know, do you remember the name of the committee? I don't want to get it wrong, but it's I, the, the, it's a committee formed by the National AICP. Pipeline Advisory Group. Okay. So the National Pipeline Advisory Group, National Pipeline Advisory Group, NPAG, NPAG met this fall and delivered some sort of presentation or report to AICPA council, but they are not done yet. Their actual final report is going to be delivered in the spring in May, I believe. And that's what I think April, May. <laughs> that's what we're all looking forward to. That's the big reveal of the plan that's gonna save the accounting profession from our talent crisis that we have. And um, continue, David. So unfortunately it was crammed into you know, a 19-minute interview, which probably is not enough time to dedicate this. But it was long enough, and Sue communicated some things that gives you a little glimmer of hope, a little bit, the way the way they're thinking about stuff. Um, one, th Obviously, it's the same lines as it always is in the, you know, 
less population means less students, which means less people in all professions. Like that's the that's still pointed out as one of the main main root causes. But you really they really I think have gotten some clarity on the leaking pipeline for these leaks, and she she kind of talks. It's it starts pre college these leaks. Like accounting students, younger people aren't going into accounting. And then in college, what, this is a shocking stat because I feel like we've never talked about this stat or have seen this before. She said about 208,000 students a year declare accounting as the major. But on the other end of that funnel, only 50,000 graduate as accountants. That shocked me. And I've never heard that before. And we just have to stop and think about that for a moment. 200,000, more than 200,000 accounting majors at the beginning of college, and only 25% of them make it through as an accounting major. So we're losing 75% in college. And she calls out principles of accounting courses or introduction accounting courses that they tend to be very dry. They don't focus on good things about the profession per se. And they tend to be taught, They and I'll quote her, um, and those courses don't tend to be taught by the most engaging instructors. So she's calling Ouch. out the established, which I was so shocked that the ASB yeah. is calling out the educational establishment as being a problem. Well, we've talked about on the show in the past how Accounting 101 and 102, like the introduction to accounting courses are used as like a weeder class in business schools yeah. often, where it's designed to get people to to leave, sort of like how, I don't know, in, in what was it? Okay. Okay. Yeah, organic Doctor. chemistry yeah. is used to, as a weeder class for like medical, uh, students who wanna go into medical, become doctors, right? So, I, and I agree that probably happens in a lot of business schools, but I mean, I feel like it's a little harsh to blame the like, educators you know, it's like basically laying laying the blame on the educators for the reason that the students don't continue with their accounting major because the courses are dry. You know, I like is is that data driven? Do they have data to actually support that? Because that's what Sue said on the interview that they're being very data driven with all of this. So, like, yeah. what, how do you how do you know that for sure? Yeah, I mean, it could it could be a lot of other things, right? It could be the fact that oh. Once I become a sophomore and a junior, I realize I'm going to have to do a fifth year of education. And then I decide I'm just going to go do something else so I can graduate in four years, right? Couldn't that yeah. be it too? Yeah. And they're talking about the, getting people that CPA finish line. So now they've they became an accountant. They finished the college. People drop out of that pipeline. They don't finish, right? So we, we're losing people in that pipeline. And they actually said, 150-hour rule in this committee, everything's on the table. Everything is being discussed, including modifying that. So the, the, that was said. And yeah. then the other issue of, hey, once once they make it through all those gauntlets, then they there's another leak between the one to five years of your career because yes. we overwork our – like she flat out said we overwork our people, starting salaries are too low. I'm, I was just shocked to hear these words come out of the AICPA's mouth. Like I'm, I was, really I was happy to hear it. I was, I was happy. Exactly. I was very happy to hear it because it's true. Yeah. And we know this – objectively that these are the two points in the pipeline where we have the biggest leaks in college and then first few years in a firm. And it used to be that people would leave the big firm and they'd stay in accounting, they'd go into corporate or they'd go to a smaller firm, but now they're just leaving accounting entirely and going into a different field. Uh, so, so the fact that they're leaving once they've had two or three years of experience is not anything new. What's new is that they are not sticking with accounting. But, but what I 
don't quite agree with or what I want more information on is the cause of this. Because I feel like Sue and Lexi speculate on the cause of it, but I don't, I haven't heard data to suggest why this is happening. And this is one of the things that I've always been frustrated with when it comes to AICPA and ASBA, is that they have these massive databases of members that they could be surveying to get this data. And they haven't done it. As far as I know, they have not surveyed their membership to they find out. An upcoming na survey, national survey is coming. Okay, so good. I would love to, to you, see Blake. that. They are going to send out a national survey that will uh, also touch on even people's opinions on the 150-hour rule. They're even going to even survey that, they said. Thanks, everyone, who has joined our live stream. You can subscribe to us on YouTube. Search for The Accounting Podcast. Subscribe, and you'll get notified when we go live. And you can join us in the chat. We've got Nick here. We've got David. We've got Huzaifa. And we've got JP. Welcome. Thanks for chatting with us. We had some uh, comments here, David, on this. Nick says, hey, guys, love the show. It would be great to get some more management accountant content on your channel. A big part of the pipeline crisis applies to industry as well. I agree. It would be good to get more management accountant content on our channel. It feels like a lot of the news that we discuss comes from public accounting because that's where all of the accounting publications are geared. There's not really enough for corporate people in corporate, but that's most of the profession. You know, it's like 70, 80% of the profession is not in public accounting. And I feel like kind of their needs are ignored a lot of the time. And there could be opportunity there because I do feel like a lot of those accountants, when you meet them, they're all on their own islands, yep. right? Because they're just working at the company they work on and they're not hanging around with accounting colleagues per se. And so it's probably even more important for them to have a place to go and have a sense of community. Nick also says, I think there are lots of opportunities for CMAs to advance to higher levels of management within their organization. I think the IMA could help out a lot more with recruiting to the discipline. David Hall says, university students at school talk about taking a year off of working to study for CPA exam because work-life balance is unattainable. Yeah, this is part of the problem is that the, the traditional path that has been laid out is not that appealing because you got to go to school for four years, then you got to go to school for an extra year, and then you got to take the CPA exam. And a lot of people don't have the money to just take time off to study for the CPA exam. So you're either doing it while you're in grad school or you're doing it while you're working. Both are difficult in terms of having work-life balance because anyone who studied for the exam knows how all-consuming that can be. And you wouldn't have guys like Peter Alinto telling you to tell your family and your girlfriend that you're not going <laughs> to see them for six months because you're studying. And, you know, only 10% of CPA candidates pass all four on the first try. So it takes a really long time. Um, I was able to pass all four in one go. So I got it all done, like within, I don't know, eight months or something like that. I did it really quickly, but I also was working for myself as a freelancer. So I could set my own schedule and I prioritize studying over, you know, billable hours, which you can't do when you're working for a firm. <laughs> Nick says, everyone I know in public is overwhelmed and miserable. <laughs> hey, um, I just want to say like, that's Nick there. That's not us. <laughs> that's not that. Don't criticize me and David Leary for perpetuating stereotypes about the profession because uh, those stereotypes are often true. And that's the problem too, is, is I feel like on that podcast episode, again, it was a lot of 
we need to change the messaging. And I and keep saying you can't you can't just put lipstick on a pig. You cannot dress this up. You got to solve the like root underlying cause of the problem. Yeah, when they're right? asked what success looks like, it's grow the top of the funnel, fix the narrative, improve the image. Well, if you actually have to fix the stuff to the for the image to improve, but so yeah, that's kind of lipstick well, on the pig. And here's something that I feel was missing. And, and I think that the committee is completely missing. And I hope that if anyone on the committee is listening, that you bring this up, which is that all of the discussion on that episode was about the traditional pipeline. It was about getting more high school and college students into the accounting pipeline, the pipeline that already exists. And in order to make up the deficit, I don't think people realize just how much things have to change. We are producing about 50,000 accounting grads every year. What does that number need to be? It needs to be 100,000. It has to double. Does anything that AICPA is proposing in their plan look like it's going to double the output? Not no in the chance. short term. Not in the short term. But no. if, they, if they can reach younger children and try to encourage them to eventually become accountants, it could right, but, do this. But even but. then, like what, what, would be, what would be like obtainable? You know, 10%, 20%, 30 It's not going to double, yeah. right? With what like they're a skills retraining program or, or bringing in other blo blood that's not so, currently in the funnel. Yeah. Exactly, David. I am a career changer. I got into accounting because I made the brilliant decision to major in music and then realized that wasn't the best decision for my career. I didn't, I didn't enjoy the starving part of starving musician, right? And so for me, accounting has been a fantastic career. And I know that there are millions of Americans who made perhaps the wrong decision in college. Most people don't end up doing what they majored in. And they would love to get into accounting, but it's unobtainable because it would require going back to school and sitting for this exam. And once you're already working, once you have kids, going through that path is really freaking hard. I was able to do it because I had family supporting me. I knew that I could fall back on them if I had an economic problem. And I also had my wife pushing me saying, Blake, if you drop another thing, I'm, <laughs> you know, like you're a failure, right? Like I, I had that, right? Because I tend to do that, right? I tend to switch a lot. That's why I haven't lived in one place for more than three years. I'm, I'm doing my best to stick around here. But like, there's no discussion that I have heard about making accounting more accessible and open to career changers. And I think that's the only way we will solve this problem with the numbers we need. We need to actually have like retraining schools, boot camps, and we need to make exceptions for people who are changing careers to get them in. Uh, and I think it's possible to do that and maintain quality. There are really, really smart people who maybe they majored in like English literature and they're brilliant, but they then they could pick up accounting if they did a boot camp kind of situation. But our current setup does not allow for that at all. It's like not compatible. You got to spend all this money and time to go sit in a classroom learning stuff you already know. <laughs> and and so I, I just feel like we got we to gotta think more outside the box. Right now, it's just all very much about improving the existing system. Um, and I agree with Sue Coffey that accounting education is just woefully inadequate, like in preparing students these days. Like it's so traditional and it's all about transmitting knowledge. And like the argument in favor of the fifth year 
is the number one argument is accounting standards have gotten more complex, tax has gotten more complex, therefore we need another year in order to fit it all in. But what that fails to understand is the world has changed to where now I have information via AI, via Google, I can just get it whenever I need it. I don't need to memorize it, right? Like accounting education has not advanced beyond, like it's still, it's still operating in a world in which we like had to go to a physical library to get information. This episode of the Accounting Podcast is sponsored by LifeLow. I was talking to Beth Melcher of MoneyFit while at QuickBooks Connect, and she was raving about how LifeLow's consolidation feature is saving her team 15 to 20 minutes per client every week. I love how LifeLow's automated multi-entity consolidation is so simple to use. You can easily map multiple unmatching chart of accounts from multiple QuickBooks Online companies into one unified report. And once it's set up, LifeLow works its magic, updating the consolidations automatically in real time, so you can focus on analysis using instantly updated data. LifeLow can even consolidate financials that are different currencies, and the possibilities don't stop there. LifeLow empowers you with flexible, powerful reporting tools to create customized dashboards that meet your specific needs, build executive presentations, cash flow forecast, and more with just a few clicks. To stop grueling over manual consolidation reports and to get 20% off your first three months, head over to accountingpodcast.promo slash liveflow. That is accountingpodcast.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W. Yeah. And, and along the way, I've been getting uh, cpajournal.com. I've been getting a lot of articles from them fed into my feed. And one of the articles came through said, rethinking the 150-hour requirement for CPA licensure. Can alternative pathways surmount the barriers to entry? And I was like, oh, this this looks really interesting. And then it's one of those articles where you click on it, it shows you how many minutes it's going to take you to read. And it was like 37 minutes or something. I was like, oh, boy. So I get into it. And so this is an article. It's written by uh, a PhD. It's, it's three college professors, basically. And I start reading this article and the first, I'd say 90% of this entire article is nothing but citations of other articles of things like we've been talking about at stuff. Actually, I think Blake, you're cited in it, uh, going concern citing it, accounting today. And it's essentially summarizes what we've been talking about for four or five years. It's like these three professors just discovered there's this whole discussion on the 150 hour rule. And yeah, I, I just want to say for the record, they like, I'm pretty sure they're citing me, like they cite me twice in this article, right? But the once second they don't time, use the right name the second time. Yeah, the second time ben. I'm, they call me Ben Oliver. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so I, I, you know, come on, come on, PhDs, get your yeah. citations right. Isn't that like the number one job that, that you have to do when you're when you're writing your art when you're writing your papers is is get the citations right? And so it had the great headline, but it didn't really have much in it. And their opinion, I'll summarize it as this that. CPA firms should help pay for the 30 hours, basically. And the 30 hours should probably have some more ethics stuff because the one guy's like an ethics guy. There should be more ethics, some ethics classes and like define that a little. But then the article, they, those, they weren't even focused on like elimination 150. They were more focused on, you know, like some states you can sit for the exam at 120 hours and other ones yeah. you can't, you know, three to 150. They were more focused on that and how that affects the pipeline. And then, I know. and then it's, it's just, if you can imagine a boring article and this reinforced the whole time I'm reading, I'm like, yeah, Susan's right. Susan's completely right. I was reading this article. And then all they do is they propose other future research and I'm reading the questions they propose. And I kid you not, I was like, oh, AI could make these questions. <laughs> And then so I just I pasted their, their their whole article, but their future 
uh, research yeah. topics into ChatGPT, and I got the same thing, right? Like, are the extra units of education cost effective? Um, what no, is the actual return not. on investment, right? It, it's very- It's it, not, it, not, it, not enough. All right. So I actually we don't was, need to do research on this. We don't need to do research no. on this. Like it's ob it's kind of obvious already from the research that's been done. So I saw this article and I almost was a little hopeless. I was like, oh my god, like the the these professors are so far away from even the the corner AICP is AICPA has turned. These professors are decades from I know. this, and I was like, oh my god, we are in trouble. But unbelievable. I there's another article that was in CPA Journal. And that one was called Accounting Education Disrupted, Transforming to Face a Challenging Future. I get into this article, start poking around. So this is done by four uh, other professors. Four more PhDs, right? PhDs. Um, I don't know. I don't know what a DBA is. One's, one person's retired, but they've, they've all held like chairs oh, and heads of chairs. They've got I think that's like a, the doctorate version of an MBA, right? Yeah. yeah. Doctorate of Business Administration. So maybe that's it. Yeah. So I could be wrong. I'm just, I'm just speculating. And if you go to their LinkedIn pages, they got, they're getting medals from King's College, all that kind of good stuff. Anyways, these geniuses solved the... <laughs> Accounting pipeline, they have a plan. It's amazing. So I'm gonna oh, add yeah? this to the, hopefully everybody's seeing this. I see it. So they have come out with recommendations for increasing the pipeline. And frankly, I would, it made me think like, what is the ICPA doing? They don't even need to do it. These guys already built the plan. It's all here. So they, and they separate the plan out into two, for those of you that can't see the slide, they separate out into two sections, things that they kind of, it's under their purview as educators that they can have some influence and control over, and then things that are outside of higher education that should happen in the industry. And they catch, like for example, STEM. There should be a STEM designation, right, to help I grow. Mean, for see, I think that would be that would be that would be nice, but I don't think. Yeah. So what does that do? What does that actually accomplish? Yeah. It yeah. allows you to have an accounting course in high school. Okay, that's good. That's great, but it's not gonna it's not gonna double the number of accounting. St majors. No, no, that's true. Uh, they address their, their, these are accounting professors calling out the two undergraduate introductory accounting courses that they need to better engage students. They need to emphasize more decision-making, leverage research to improve the messaging about, right? Mm -hmm. It's all the things Susan and them are talking about. Um, they need to 100% eliminate the 150-hour rule. They are recommending that, right? Um, they want to see colleges move to a three-year degree program. So you can kind of get your 150, okay. right? Three, three years. years. Wow. They want to pump it out. Um, they want more career paths. And this is what some of the um, commenters and our um, the, the viewers have put comments in, you know, uh, the CMA, the FSA, internal audit, CIA, you know, information management system, CISA, anti-fraud, CFE, right? So to expand all these other career paths beyond public accounting and then reaching out in the high schools and community colleges. Right, they do specifically say, "Hey, there's an impact to be done the community colleges," but they flat out say, "Get rid of the 150 hour requirement." Um, yeah, they say that they should work on if they're going to have a master's or the extra 30 credit hours. Right, make it a program, like really come up with true model curriculum that people should do. They want to, you know, career paths beyond public accounting for major accounting majors, and then you know the brand, right? So that the pat, like the ACP has a committee doing this stuff, and this. They have a slide. It's done. Like they pretty much have the plan right here. And so it well, gave me a little okay. bit of hope, like full circle, right? Because the other professors just ruined it for me. Well, but just like the AICPA is 
here's my take on this. Just like the AICPA is not thinking outside the box enough when it comes to where we're going to get these accountants, right? They're focused on the traditional pathway and improving the existing traditional pathway. I think we need to go beyond the traditional pathway. I think these accounting professors are really missing a big point, which is that they are measuring education in terms of hours. It's the same yeah. problem yeah. the accounting profession has with our business model. As long as you measure people in terms of their inputs, in terms of the hours that they work and not what they achieve, you are gonna limit what is possible. So why in today's world are we still measuring education based on the number of hours that a student sits in a classroom? Because that's essentially what all this is. When they talk about semester hours, it's literally a translation of, I sit in a classroom for X hours per week for X weeks per semester, and that turns into credit hours. And that doesn't measure knowledge. It just measures how much time I sat in a classroom and how much money I paid to do such a thing. It doesn't mean that my professor successfully transmitted the knowledge to me. And I can go to one school and learn from and get a terrible education. I can go to another school and get a great education. They might both be accredited, right? So like, it doesn't prove anything. Uh, we we have to, as a profession, stop measuring ourselves in time. Everything that we, all the technology that we use now is totally disrupting all of that. I can go and obtain yeah. all the knowledge that I need in in minutes. <laughs> I don't have to go sit in a classroom anymore. Uh, and, and the things that we need to be teaching people, it's not like I need to teach somebody in a classroom the intricacies of this particular accounting standard. What we need to teach them is how to how to think critically so that they can go and then read it and learn it themselves because there's just too much. You, it is not even possible in five years to teach somebody everything they need to know in accounting. The field is just way too broad. And then so much of it changes. Yeah. <laughs> there's new tax laws. Depending on the administration, it, it, it doesn't even matter what you learn. It all changes, right? That's the yeah. thing. is, And that's why people got so frustrated is because you went to school, you learned all this tax law, and then it all changed like in the last 10 years. So um, we had some comments going on in the chat that I want to address. Uh, Brian Strike said, are you talking about a boot camp to get CPA eligible or just to learn the basics? Um, I am talking about a way to take somebody who went to college and got a degree and wants to become an accountant to get them the accounting knowledge and tax knowledge and audit knowledge that they need to, that they would get in a undergraduate accounting major and that they could then sit for the CPA exam and pass the exam and become a CPA. And I think we need to make exceptions for career changers who have Let's say you could you could create a work experience requirement that's like much more than somebody who just comes out of school with all that stuff, right? So you could say, okay, you got to work for, I don't know, what, three to five years. So you've, and they probably have, right? A lot of people have done this and they're still blocked from becoming CPAs because they don't have the specific courses they need. So make the work experience, whatever it needs to be. And then basically say, if you have a bachelor's degree and you can pass the CPA exam, then you can become a CPA. I think that's what's like to become a teacher in Arizona. It used to be you had to have a, a teaching degree, and then yeah. it's evolved as any degree as long as you can pass the teaching certificate or the right. additional. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is the problem with getting career changers in is that not only do you have to have the 150 hours, which means that many people have to go back for another year of education, that 
education has to be in very specific courses. And it's a lot of courses. It's like the entire undergraduate accounting major. So even if like me, you had, I actually had like five years of education because I changed majors after the first year. I went in as a liberal arts major and then I became a music major. So I basically already had five years of credits, but I still couldn't sit for the CPA exam because I had to go and I had to take all the accounting courses that were required by California. I had to take the business law course. I had to take the, I don't know, whatever it was. There were a lot of courses I had to take and I couldn't just study that stuff and pass the CPA exam. That didn't count. I had to go sit in a classroom or in a virtual classroom at an accredited community college or university in order to get all those credits. And for me, somebody who learns very easily by reading on my own, it was a real hindrance. Like it was not, some of those classes were good, but a lot of them were just totally pointless. I could have learned it much faster on my own. And so if we really wanna solve this problem and double the number of accounting majors, we gotta look beyond the traditional pipeline because as, Sue Coffey pointed out, that's declining already. There just aren't enough college grads coming in. And something like, uh, depending on the state, something like half of the CPAs are over the age of 50. In Ohio, it's like 40% are over the age of 60, I think. So this is not something we have a lot of time to work on. I mean, AICPA members, like I think half of them are like approaching retirement age. What's the AICPA going to do when half their members retire and stop paying dues? I thought it's like three quarters or 70%. I thought yeah. it's ridiculously high, isn't it? It's a lot, right? Yeah. So we got to think more outside the box on this stuff. Really outside the box. And I guess I feel like it's all related. This whole idea about hours. This whole, this, this is such like, a difficult like this concept. Is the, this is the to fundamental get like Freudian Yeah, because issue. the people who... It's probably, it's not actually the people, I sympathize actually with the AICPA leadership in many ways. I mean, I think they could have more courage in leading the profession. I feel like they're afraid to upset the council, right? AICPA is really, you know, the leadership reflects the council, which is the 200, 300, basically the Congress of the AICPA. And who is on that council? It's mainly people who are at the very end or already retired in their careers. Because all the people who are working are too busy to go be on AICPA council. And these people, well-meaning as they are, have spent 20 or 30 years filling out time cards and timesheets and measuring themselves based on the hours that they bill. Yeah. And so this concept of changing from focusing on inputs to outputs is so fundamentally different. It's, it's, it's almost like, I don't know if they can do it. If you're hearing this ad, it's because podcast advertising works. If you want to get your product, your company, your firm, your app, your community, etc., in front of accountants, bookkeepers, and tax professionals, you should be sponsoring Earmark podcasts like the Accounting Podcast, Oh My Fraud, the Unofficial QuickBooks Accountants Podcast, and the Earmark Podcast with Blake Oliver CPA. These are the biggest accounting podcasts on the planet, and we just opened up the 2024 ad slots. If you're ready to make your mark with Earmark Podcast, send me an email. David at earmark.me. That is David at earmark.me. Also, did you hear that Earmark is now doing webinars? That's right, webinars. We're calling them Webinars Plus. 
The plus is that you can attend the webinar live or watch on YouTube, LinkedIn, or Facebook. And if you can't attend a live webinar, you can just watch it on demand and still get CPE credits via the Earmark app, whatever time, place, or format is most convenient for you. You'll find the Webinars Plus channel in the Earmark app. If you don't have the Earmark app yet, hit pause, click that App Store icon, and search for Earmark. It's that easy. So what that's what when I when I listened to that interview, that's one of the things that went off in my head. I was like, wow, this sounds like a little bit of change management coming. As in, you know, because it's that whole move the cheese, who moved my cheese, you know, when we have organizational structural change, you're gonna lay off people, you're gonna reorganize a corporation. You kind of pre-message it and start putting some ideas in people's heads. And I I kind of got that vibe a little bit of like they're gonna make some changes. And this is just they're they're starting to to put the feelers out, I guess. Maybe it feels Yeah. I mean that's the I hope so. Well if if, or if it just does <laughs> no. my my feeling is that what will happen is that you know, I said this in the last episode, I think that there won't be some sort of miracle change, right? We're not gonna what we really need to do is take the requirements down to a bachelor's degree, can you pass the CPA exam and have a work experience requirement? Which is what these other certifications that are in, in licenses or whatever you call them, whatever they are, licenses, certifications are doing, right? And they're, they're streamlining it. And you can, I believe, with the right mix of requirements, you can maintain quality. You could actually improve quality, I think, because you'll get smarter people who, are, who don't like red tape into the profession. So you streamline the requirements, you get more people in, but I don't think that like the establishment has the will to do it. It would take, it would be a huge change. And I feel like, you know, there's just too many accounting professors who are worried that if we get rid of the fifth year requirement, their master's programs will implode because yeah, some of them will, the ones that aren't creating value that are just living off of this requirement, right. will will go out of business, those programs, but the good ones like BYU that we talked about in our last episode, will do just great. Right. Um, so there's that kind of resistance. It's, it's the, like the mediocrity. Right, the people, the, the mediocre middle is holding back the profession in that regard. Well, yes, so, that goes to that, you know, the, the NASBA job opening, right? They have a committee. And I don't know these members of the committee. I'd have to go look them all up on their LinkedIn pages, et cetera. But I'm, I'm imagining these are very senior members of those state societies. Super yeah, experienced, right. which is good because they have experience and they have judgment. But more well, than sometimes, likely, what do committees do? You're going to, pick a yes man, right? You're going to pick somebody that represents the committee. And sometimes experience is a liability yeah. when you're doing the same thing that hasn't been working for decades, yeah. you know, and you really need a change. You know, what's interesting about the, the, the job posting is that they listed, um, you only need a bachelor's degree to apply for this job. A master's or a CPA is preferred. Yeah. So you don't even have to be, you don't even have to be a CPA to lead NASBA the National Association of State Boards of Accountancy. Don't you think that that should be a requirement if we're going to be as strict about our leaders as we are about like new people entering the profession? You don't even have to have a fifth year of education to be the leader of NASBA. I'm mixed on that opinion because one of them means they're op that means they're open to other people with other experience coming in. But at the same yeah. time, I'm like, it'd be nice if somebody did the job before they did that job. If they had actually like gone through becoming a CPA yeah. before they lead the organization, that gatekeeps the CPA I profession. Up, they didn't. They've never worked. They never worked. 
Well, and that's, I think, the problem with a lot of accounting education is that, you know, I understand this is how the system works, but most professors, most PhDs have not worked very long in public accounting, just the minimum. So uh, I think that is enough on this topic, don't you, David? I'm solving world's top problems. But anyways, it's, if you haven't listened to the interview, go listen to it super short. Uh, Hopefully one day, Susan Coffey will come on the accounting podcast and discuss all this with us and we will not rush her. We'll give her as long as she needs. I mean, if she, if it's let, two hours, we'll do 12 hours if it needs to be to talk about all 12 points. I just want to emphasize that we have made multiple requests this year to get somebody from the AICPA on this show to talk about this stuff. Uh, and for anyone at the AICPA listening, you know, we have strong opinions. We challenge authority, but we hope that, you know, like your executives are like have enough courage to come on a show and answer tough questions and not just get softballs, right? Which is what that Accounting Today interview was. It's just softball questions, no challenging questions at all. And I think the profession, you owe it to the profession. Uh, and we're not going to be jerks, you know? We're, we're pretty nice people when you actually talk to us. But it's like they just don't want to engage with anyone that I feel like challenges the narrative or diverges from it in any way. And it's just and old school thinking, you know? That's the problem. And that's why I said the, the interview felt like it was change management type. Like they wanted to get a message out there that was very specific about these things that are coming down the pipe. Yeah. And it, and it might be harder to do on our show. Yeah. That's true. Uh, well, yeah, because we're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna follow that narrative, right? <laughs> and neither will our live stream viewers who are, mm-hmm. you know, vocal about that too. Um so let's talk about Let's talk about chat GPT and AI and this new GPT maker thing that exists. I've been playing around with it, David, and I kind of, I want to share it with you. So is you. this something that's part of OpenAI? Like who is it? This yes. New, it is part of OpenAI, okay. Yeah, so this is uh, part of chat GPT. If you are a chat GPT pro subscriber, you can now use this. Came out in the last few weeks. I'll share my screen. And I'll just show you what I've been doing to play around with it. On the sidebar now, you can see that we've got these uh, options other than ChatGPT. We've got DALL-E. I've created some custom GPTs called TaxBot, TapBot for the accounting podcast, BTOBot for Blake, and SEC179. That's the one I wanted to show you. Um, So did we talk about custom prompts in the past for ChatGPT? You could save them now or... Yeah, basically. Yeah. So, so like for instance, um, what you could do in your profile is you could tell it something about yourself. Actually, let me let me go into my profile and see custom instructions. Yeah. So, a little while ago, ChatGPT added this to your profile where you could say uh, in a text field, it would it asks you the question, "What would you like ChatGPT to know about you to provide better responses?" And you could provide up to fifteen hundred characters of text about yourself and what you do, and then every time you prompt ChatGPT, it has that. So you don't have to keep telling it over and over again who you who are I and what you or, do and what yeah. you want, right? And then you could tell it also how you want it to respond. Like, do you want it to be formal or casual? Or do you want it to be long or short? That sort of thing. How do you want it to address you? But that was enabled for all new chats. So it's kind of limiting in the fact that like, you don't always want it to know the same things or do the same stuff, right? You, you want no, to use because it because you're, you're using it for problem A, you're using it for problem B, problem C. So you want to tie that to more of a profile, not not your main login, right? Right. So to overcome that limitation, OpenAI released GPTs, custom 
GPTs. Um, and the way that works is that you can configure a particular chatbot. You can give it a name, you can give it a description, and you can give it custom instructions. Uh, and you can give it conversation starters, which are like little pre-written prompts that you can just click and use. And then this is the important part. You can upload knowledge. So you can upload PDFs, text files that it will save in its database and be able to reference when you ask questions. When was this released? A couple of weeks ago, I think. So this solves my whole issue when I try to like, I trained it all that great training to book all those airplane flights or not book them, but to create the calendar appointments and put on my calendar. And then a week later, it didn't know anything. Right. Now I can tell it, always use the airplane emoji, you know, and all that type of stuff. And it'll know that for next time. Yes. And what's really cool that is when you go to- Game changing. When you go to create one of these bots, you can actually create it by just telling ChatGPT what you want, and then it will actually write the instructions for you. So you can say, I want to create a bot where I can copy and paste in my reservations, and it will create a calendar ICS file in this following format. And you give it all the specifications, and it will remember that from now on. So I did that uh, with a section of the tax code. Well, and actually it was not a, I didn't upload the actual section of the tax code. I went and found the publication from the IRS, uh, publication 946 on section 179, which is all about depreciation. And so the idea is that you can save this bot and you can use it to then, you know, ask questions about the document, like, and it will reference the IRS guidance and give you an answer. Are and, you limited in how many docs you can add here? How many... Is there a size? File? There is limits with ChatGPT, and I'm not totally sure what it is. I tried. I actually tried uploading the entire tax code, <laughs> the the entire IRC, uh, and it like totally timed out. And actually, the IRC is insanely big. I discovered, <laughs> you know, remember like in years ago when um, like Republicans were trying to do tax simplification, and they did that whole thing where they brought in the tax code, printed out, and put it on like stacked on a table in Congress, <laughs> and it was like mounds of text high. Yeah. So that, that's a really big file. And um, ChatGPT can't handle that. But you can take a PDF like this, you know, section um, or publication 946, and you can upload it and then you can query it. So the instructions here say this. Uh, here's the instructions. The GPT will be a tax expert, specifically knowledgeable in IRC section 179. Its primary role is to provide clear, accurate, and up-to-date information on Section 179, including its implications, benefits, and limitations for small businesses. It should guide users in understanding how Section 179 can be applied in various business scenarios and answer queries related to tax deductions, eligibility criteria, and investment limits under this section. The GPT should avoid giving personalized financial advice or legal interpretations, but focus on explaining the provisions of Section 179 in a user-friendly manner. And I'm going to add to this. It should um, cite its uh, sources uh, whenever uh, giving guidance. Okay, now I can update. And what's neat about these GPTs is you can keep them private or you can publish them so that people with a link can use them or you can make them public, like anyone could use them. 
This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Keeper. By combining client communications, file review, reporting, and your task management, Keeper has everything you need to run your bookkeeping or cast practice. Keeper is an all-in-one app that allows you, your team, and your clients to easily collaborate to make your monthly close as efficient as possible. Starting with a beautiful custom-branded client portal optimized for bookkeeping work, your client can answer questions you have about uncategorized transactions, allowing you to categorize and automatically post them to QuickBooks Online correctly, all without ever leaving Keeper. Via the month-end file review feature to surface transactions that may not be posted correctly, and by providing the perfect customized report that each client may need, Keeper can highlight the value that your firm provides clients. Keeper's built-in task management ensures nothing falls through the cracks, and it includes time tracking so you can see where you and your team spends their time. With Keeper's 1099 manager, you can easily review each client's list of vendors, email address, physical address, tax ID, and the amount paid, and from the same screen, even request W9s for any vendors that you're missing information for. No more jumping between screens or browser tabs. Keeper has a very affordable and clear pricing model that starts at only $8 a month. To learn more about why thousands of bookkeepers and accountants trust Keeper to manage their month-end close and to get 20% off your first three months by using code CAP20, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash keeper. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash K-E-E-P-E-R. So now I've got my GPT here and I just click it in the sidebar and now I can ask a question. Um, and so some of the pre-written questions are, is software eligible for section 179 deductions? So I could put that in. And now the sec 179 bot is gonna go search its knowledge, which I assume includes that PDF that I uploaded. And it's gonna go give me an answer. So, you know, think think about your firm and think about like specialties you have, right? Perhaps you could create specialist bots that you could share in your firm. All right, so what did it say? I got the answer. It said, yes, software is eligible for section 179 deductions, specifically off the shelf computer software. This refers to software that is readily available for purchase by the general public, is subject to non-exclusive license and has not been substantially modified. All right, uh, where can I find this um, specific guidance? Now I'm asking it to cite its source, basically. It's saying that I can find it in publication 946. Okay, well, that makes sense because I gave it that. Uh, I could say, what's the page number? Yes. Now, is this really faster than just doing a control F in the PDF? Not really, I think. But what, what could be interesting is if I actually gave it a specific question and I said, here is the case and then asked it to interpret it. So it's telling me that the guidance can be found on pages 10 and 16. So it's not like mind blowing. I've been playing around with this. Um, I created a bot that can write like me. I trained it to like use my tone and writing style and I've been trying to use that. I created a bot that um, like searches episodes of the uh, accounting podcast or can go out and find stories for us to talk about. Um, like suggest topics for the next podcast episode on our tap bot. I did that and it can go and um, it can brainstorm topics for us to talk about. It can also go search the web because it's connected to the web. So this is interesting because I could see that like at many firms and companies, like you're the bottleneck, right? You're the, the, you're the firm owner, you're the domain expert and you become the bottleneck and you can try to document everything you can do, but that gets to a point where it's impossible to navigate. Mm -hmm. But if you can just paste in some docs here. 
of knowledge of things for your and i'm thinking like is this kind of like a a super standard operating procedures actually thing? You, you could use it for that purpose is you could take your firm's standard operating procedures and upload them to a bot provide that to all of your team and then they can query the employee handbook or the operating procedure yeah, instead document. of asking blake about x yes and, and hopefully because you're 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 locking it into some finite set of information. It's giving accurate, accurate answers. The hallucination should be less. And now here's something I haven't tried, but which is possible if you can code, is that you can connect your custom GPT to outside systems. So you can, there's a, there's a schema field, and you can add code here to go and call upon like an external database. Now this could be really powerful. If you have like a whole database of information in your firm, you could have it like connect to that and then people can just query the chatbot. So this is basically very similar to what the Department of Defense is reported to have done, where they took all of their documentation, which is a lot, and they put it into a chatbot and now people can query Department of Defense procedures and regulations and rules. So I think there's a lot of potential here for any situation where you have to go query documents and there's lots of them like a big database, this could be really powerful. Uh, I mean, maybe you could even connect it to your firms like CRM and go like find potential clients for a specific service or I don't know, what have you. So they've got examples, you know, you can, you can query uh, like weather. So basically you can ask AGBT, what's the weather in X zip code? And it can connect to that website with the weather data and then pull that into the response. I could have that, yeah. Put so in basically, my calendar appointment for my flight. Yeah. yeah. So basically, this is how you create those custom GPTs. You know, I've played around with creating one that can do um, create self-study CPE courses based on NASBA rules. Upload the NASBA standards, and I uploaded the fields of study document, and then gave it a prompt. It said, like, you are a self-study course writer. Can you you know, use this, these documents to help me write learning objectives and course descriptions and that sort of thing. Um, so I think there's a lot of potential here like that firms could use. I mean, it's not it's not that far away from us being able to use these kind of chatbots on private data, not just data that we copy paste into these tools. So David, I teased, I teased a story about how Disney was sued oh, and yeah. Berkshire Hathaway was sued. How long, how long of a story is this? Well, and sorry, my voice is really scratchy. So I'm gonna do my best not to cough all over this microphone. Um, so I just wanted to talk about it because I, I saw this and I've heard about Hollywood accounting and uh, I've never heard about Disney getting caught up in it. I think there's a lesson here for anyone who does a deal, anyone who does a deal where there's like a share of the profits because you know, profit is one of those things that can be manipulated. If you have the right expenses, you can make profits disappear. Cost That's accounting. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> so the headline here, and this appeared in CFO Brew, is Disney sued over accounting by film financiers. The subhead is, Disney used nearly every Hollywood accounting trick to deprive a financial partner out of millions, according to a recent lawsuit. So uh, this is a lawsuit filed by TSG Entertainment, a film financing firm. They filed this lawsuit on October 15th in Los Angeles County Superior Court. And they said that Disney and its subsidiary 20th Century Studios, formerly 20th Century Fox, 
deprive them via shady accounting of something like $40 million of profits. TSG has been in a revenue participation agreement with 20th Century Studios, and they had an agreement that said that TSG would profit from selected films revenue in exchange for financing commitments, including production and marketing costs. They have put $3.3 billion into some of Fox's most successful, beloved, and awarding and award-winning films, including blockbusters like Avatar, The Way of Water, Bohemian Rhapsody, and the Deadpool and X-Men franchises. Over time, though, the financier noticed that the return on its investments was decreasing dramatically, leading the firm to hire an independent account auditing firm to conduct an audit of Fox's books and records to see whether or not the terms of the RPA were being upheld. And the independent audit found that Fox had underpaid TSG by at least $40 million, 40 million using a, quote, number of underhanded Hollywood accounting tricks, unquote. And so the question is, what are those accounting tricks? Well, Disney negotiated sweetheart deals, allegedly, in which TSG-backed films boosted Disney's subscriber numbers while minimizing the profit payments to stakeholders like TSG. So in other words, they license the films to Disney Plus at very favorable rates to Disney Plus, which got Disney Plus subscribers. But TSG and the films, the films never saw any of those profits. This is the same game Microsoft played with the corporation in Puerto Rico selling Windows back to Microsoft for a dollar a copy or something stupid, right? It's kind of that same game. It's a, it's a sim it's it's a little bit like that. Yeah. yeah. Right? So so that this is it's a good question, right? So if 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 Fox, which is a, a subsidiary of Disney, licenses a film to Disney Plus, and Disney Plus gets a bunch of subscribers because Deadpool is on Disney Plus now, which is hard to trace, honestly, right? How do you recognize revenue down to the film? And so I don't actually come down on a side in this because I feel like it's really difficult to value, you know, this is a valuation question. How do you value the rights to that film when the value of a subscription service like Disney Plus is not just having one film on it, it's having a lot of films available or a lot of content available. It's the whole catalog that creates the value. They're not selling it one a la carte, you know, one film at a time on Disney Plus anymore, like we used to yeah. in the early days of streaming. So I guess there's a lesson here when, when you come up with like revenue sharing or profit sharing agreements, you have to really think through how could, especially if you're the minority partner, right? Yeah. How could the majority partner really screw me over by manipulating these numbers? There's lots of ways to do it. And I find it fascinating. So that's, that's my accounting I don't know, lesson, question. It's more of a question. It's like, how do you how do you deal with that? Contracts, right? And that's the problem too with like like film accounting, right? Is is that yeah, if there isn't a direct sale, then how do you how do you how do you allocate revenue? Allocating revenue is really hard. But isn't this kind of the part of the strike that the actors just had was yeah. things were going to streaming platforms and nobody could measure the revenue. So then people weren't making, getting paid as much because they, there's no, if there's no revenue number to make a calculation from, we don't have anything to pay you. 
Yeah. Right. There's no there's no there's no direct allocation yeah. to a particular show. So then there's no profits to share. Uh, Did you say uh, Berkshire Hathaway got sued as well? Yeah. So Berkshire Hathaway got sued by the family that owns Pilot. But I think we're running out of time. So and I, my voice is running out. It's actually right. I can barely speak anymore. So and you have a you have a in person keynote this week so you have to yes talk to your voice a little bit that's why we are recording on tuesday because tomorrow i fly to lexington kentucky to give a keynote on artificial intelligence for a conference hosted by dean dorton and i'm so excited to be doing this because they are a very prominent accounting firm in kentucky and i have never been and i'm really excited to go and to you know make it a work and personal trip i am um i'm a bourbon drinker so you know like like i can't believe it took me until 40 to get over to the bourbon trail so i'm gonna go check out at least one distillery while i'm there yeah. and then fly pop home. over to uh visit nasba in nashville on your way <laughs> i've back. been to nashville enough yeah I, and i think i think there's something next year there we'll be going oh zero con zero con is going to be in nashville so Thank you, everyone who joined us live. Great to have you with us. Don't forget, if you're listening on the podcast, you can also subscribe to us on YouTube. You can catch us live, chat with us, let us know what you think about the future of the accounting profession, technology, any of the issues that we have discussed here. We also love your emails. Send us an email at theaccountingpodcast.earmark.me. That's theaccountingpodcast.earmark.me. Those go to me and David. You will get our undivided attention. Well, it is divided. I mean, it's, it goes to both of us. So I guess it is undivided, but it, you get you get both our attention. You get twice as much attention as if you just sent it to one of us. But you can't measure it because it's, it's, it's going to everybody yeah. at once. Exactly. Uh, send us your emails. Send us your voicemails. We love getting those. We will play voicemails on the air. I'm surprised that more people don't take advantage of that. And uh, yeah, David, Great to see you, as always, and I'll see you again here next week. Bye. Time for the classifieds. Your accounting firm is buzzing with new hires. They're eager, they're promising, they say they know QuickBooks inside and out, but soon you're seeing red flags. Errors keep creeping into the work, and once again, you're in the train correct repeat cycle. Break free with Royal Wise Owls. Alisa Katz Pollock, one of Ignition's 2023 top 50 women in accounting, developed a comprehensive QuickBooks training platform with live webinars and on demand courses enabling your staff to learn QBO while earning CPE. Their bronze, silver, and gold memberships range from core QBO courses and discussion groups groups to unlimited video library access, monthly coaching sessions, and exclusive discounts. Kickstart your journey towards a QuickBooks savvy workforce today by visiting royalwise.com. That's royalwise.com. Stop settling for slow payments and say hello to the future of AR with Forwardly. Accounts that use Forwardly can receive payments in less than 22 seconds. Yes, under 22 seconds via the newly launched FedNow network. And if your bank or a client's bank doesn't yet use FedNow, Forwardly will send the payment via same-day ACH for free. To get paid in under 22 seconds, go to forwardly.com. That's forwardly.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? 
Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.